Join me in prayer, please. Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, we give ourselves to you now. Uh, Father, our ears are open, our hearts are open. It is the desire of our hearts, Father, to hear your voice and to hear your word and to hear your teaching. Father, inspire in us the understanding of your teaching that this parable may come alive in our own time and in our own life, Father. Give me the ability, my Father, that I will need. Give me your Holy Spirit in power and in might, my Father, that my words be your words and my thoughts your thoughts. Direct what we hear, direct what I say, and direct all things, Lord, for you are King and Lord, and Savior over all of us. We give ourselves to you now, to the hearing of your word. In Jesus' name, Father. Amen. Good morning, everyone. May I invite you, please, to open your Bibles. Uh, Those of you that brought your Bibles, open them to the Gospel of Matthew, the 13th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. There are Bibles in the pews in front of you. Uh, also, uh, in, your, in your bulletins, uh, there is an insert with, uh, with uh, the, the reading of the gospel. And I also believe that you may have a smartphone or you may have a Bible app or something like that, and you can still uh, go ahead and open it to that because that's still the Word of the Lord. So we're looking at the 13th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, We've been in Matthew throughout this year so far, even though after Easter we focus on John for a while, but we are now, uh, and probably for the rest of the year, we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Matthew. And in this passage in particular that I want us to deal with, one of the things I want you to understand is that we are looking at a Sabbath day in the life of Jesus. We're looking at these teachings of Jesus and what happened during the Sabbath. This is a Sabbath day, a day of worship in the life of Jesus. In chapter 12, verse 1, it says, At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And in chapter 13, verse 9, he says he went into their synagogue, which would have taken place on the Sabbath. So we're looking at a Sabbath day, a day of worship in the life of Jesus. And one of the things I did I, in looking at, at this as one day in the life of Jesus, uh, I looked up a number of uh, how Jesus moved and where he moved to and all of that, and I, I found it interesting, and I wanted to share with you. It seems that the day for Jesus begins, perhaps on his journey toward the synagogue. Uh, chapter 12, verse 9, tells us that Jesus goes into the synagogue. Actually, it begins in verse 1. It says that he is traveling through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And then there is a question as to why his disciples are working on the Sabbath and taking uh, the grain from the plants. 
understood that thing. And then in verse 9, we are told that he actually arrives at the synagogue, and he kind of is part of the worship service in the synagogue, and actually does a healing ministry, and people question, why are you healing on the Sabbath? And Jesus takes time to explain to them about how the Sabbath is made for man and not man for the Sabbath. From there, he moves to a house that we call the Capernaum house. The Capernaum house may have been the house of Peter and his family, but Jesus uses it as his hub. It is from the house at Capernaum by the Sea of Galilee or by the Lake of Galilee that he does a lot of the ministry that he does in the area of Galilee. Next, we are told that he moves to the shores of the sea or the Lake of Galilee. He leaves the house, goes over to the seashore of the Lake of Galilee, and everybody starts gathering around him, and he gets into a boat, pulls out a little bit as the crowds are in the shore just listening to his teaching. And then we're told after he does the teaching, he moves back to the house at Capernaum with his disciples. And eventually in chapter 13, verse 53 and 54, we're told that he leaves and goes to his own country or he goes to the city of Nazareth. So that's kind of the journey of Jesus that we see on this one day. I would like you to understand a little bit about this that we're looking at today. This parable that we're looking at is one of the parables in what we come to know as the third major discourse of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. The third major sermon in the life of Jesus. If you want to understand how Matthew wrote his gospel, and there's many ways of interpreting the different sections and all of that, but the whole of the gospel of Matthew is divided into five major sermons of Jesus. All of the gospel of Matthew is divided into five major sermons of Jesus. The first major sermon of Jesus we know as the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7. In between each of the sermons, Jesus moves from one place to another. He does healings, and he may do additional teachings. But the first major sermon is the Sermon on the Mount. The second major sermon in Matthew is when Jesus sends out the disciples and instructs them in what to do and what to take as they go out into the world to do the preaching and the healing and the casting out of demons that he sends them out. That's his second major sermon that we have in the Gospel of Matthew. The third major sermon of Jesus is the one we're looking at today, which is the parables of the kingdom, chapter 13. And there he gives us at least eight different parables. 
and he spends time teaching the people and interpreting the parables for the disciples on the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God like? What is the kingdom of God like? How does the kingdom of God manifest itself? And how effective and what's the effect in the kingdom of God? The fourth major sermon of Jesus is in chapter 18 when one or two of the disciples come to him and say, Lord, who's the greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus begins to teach about what greatness from a Christian point of view should be and what humility is more important than any greatness. And he spends the whole of chapter 18 teaching on greatness and humility. And the last major sermon of Jesus in Matthew is the Sermon on the End Times, chapters 24 and 25 of Matthew. If you want to understand Matthew, you need to be able to understand that Matthew wrote it with these five major sermons as the core skeleton of his message and of his gospel. And in between each sermon, there are a number of things that happens, healings, confrontations, corrections, and different things. Today, we are focusing primarily in the third major sermon of Jesus, which has to do with the parables. And in particular, we want to look at the second of the eight parables that we find in this sermon. The second of the eight parables, what we call the parable of the weeds and the wheat, or the tares and the wheat. Some translation translates the word for weeds as tares, the tares and the weeds. This is the parable that we are looking at right now. He uses the picture of weeds and wheat. He wants to draw for us a picture that may have been very common to see in the countryside and sometimes in harvest fields in the life of the Jewish people, something they could relate to. A lot about the parables are stories that Jesus tells of people of things that people can relate to and associate themselves with and understand quickly. And so right now, he's telling a parable about weeds and wheat, both of them growing together in the same field, using the same ground, using the same space, using the same air, and using the same nutrients. Both the weeds and the wheat are growing together, using the same ground pretty much. Their roots are even probably intertwined under the ground. Both the weeds and the wheat intertwine underneath the earth. And when the wheat and the wheat are growing up, they both look very similar. They look alike. I went ahead and I, I looked for some of the tares and some of the wheat, and you can see the similarity. And as they're beginning to grow up, 
and begin to sprout out of the ground, they look somewhat similar until they begin to show their fruit. Until they begin to show their fruit and begin to produce. And the weed produces its fruit and its grain, and the wheat produces its fruit and its grain. Then they begin to look totally different one from the other. And it kind of speaks to me about our lives. Because we are growing together on the earth and we are living together with good and evil. But what differentiates us is the fruit we bear. We may look alike, and you may not be able to tell one person from another with anyone that we associate with. We go to the supermarket, we go to the mall, we pass people, people pass us, and we cannot tell any difference because we're all human beings. We look alike. We walk alike, we have arms alike, legs alike, and a head alike. But what we may have totally different that may show the difference between a believer and an unbeliever is the fruit that we bear. An unbeliever cannot bear Christian fruit, and a Christian should not bear wheat kind of fruit or evil kind of fruit. That should separate the wheat and the wheat in the world. And so that kind of spoke to me. Growing up, they look alike, but the moment they begin to sprout and the moment they begin to show their true character, their true nature, and the fruit they bear, they look completely different. The tares or the weeds, and I I studied a little bit, and I, I, I went to Google, but I also went to uh, some of my commentaries. And the tares, or the weeds, are a type of weed related to the rye grass. In fact, they give it a name, they give it a Latin name, a lolium temeletum, whatever that means. But that's the Latin name for this type of plant that, uh, that Jesus is referring to. And it is described, as I read on it, it is described as an obnoxious, bad, and degenerate weed host to a fungus which could be poisonous and renders the harvest commercially useless. Okay? Weeds and wheat growing together, but they're totally different. So let's look at some of the details of the parable. Jesus tells us that the owner of the field, the owner of the field, plants and sows in his field wheat seed or good seed. 
Okay? The owner has great intentions. He's looking forward to a harvest. He's looking forward to the kind of fruit that will feed his family, maybe be sold and feed other families. The owner of the field has great intentions in sowing the best seed that he possibly can find. However, while everyone is asleep, and everybody goes to sleep at one time or another. So we may even be thinking in the middle of the night, while everybody's asleep and not attending the field, the man's enemy, the man's enemy, in an act of what I will call agricultural terrorism, <laughs> agricultural terrorism, he comes hiding in the shadows of the night, and he sows weed on or tares or this type of poisonous plant among the good seed that the owner had planted. And then he goes away. That's how the devil works. He doesn't stay around. He does his deed, and this goes hide to see what happens. He doesn't stay around, and he certainly doesn't want to face God. So he does his deed, he brings his poison, he brings his hurt and his damage, and then he's cursed into the darkness of the night just to watch what happens to you and to me. And so the enemy of the man comes in the middle of the night, sows bad seed among the good seed, and then goes to hide. At first, no one notices that there's bad seed among the good seed. They don't notice the evil deeds of this enemy, but as the wheat and the wheat begin to grow, it becomes evident what has happened. Let me just give it to you this way. God planted a good man and a good woman in the Garden of Eden with great intentions, with a hope and a future, and he was going to love them, and they were going to, they were created in his image. They were going to, the world was going to be a great world. Everything he created was good, and then comes the fall. And sin was planted along the good. And all of a sudden, we have the descendants of Adam and Eve experiencing both good and evil until today. That's what we have in the world. A dialogue then ensues in the parable. The owner and his servants begin a conversation. And the servants come to the owner and said, Sir, did you not plant good seed in your field? How come we have now this weed that has been growing? The owner knows who did it. The owner is never, never not knowing how the devil works. 
He's not ignorant ever that an enemy was the one that caused sin to come into the world or the wheat, the, the wheat to be planted among the weeds or, or the weeds be planted among the wheat, the bad seed among the good seed. He says, clearly he says, an enemy did this. The servants want to say to the master or to the owner, do you want us to just go and start gathering all these weed and separate it? And, and, and he says, no, that idea is no good. Because in separating the weed from the wheat, undoubtedly you're going to tear off some of the wheat. Undoubtedly you're going to take some of the good plants, junk them out, and that, that plant that is junked out dies. You don't replant it. It dies. For the sake, for the sake of those that will be saved, you cannot do the separation right now. You can't separate the weed from the wheat. Because in doing that, you will uproot some wheat plant and some potential good grain and good fruit will be lost forever. And his solution rather is that, that they wait until the time of the harvest. At the time of the harvest, when both plants are fully grown and it's time to gather it all, then that will be the time to cut it all up and then separate the weed from the wheat. And the wheat will be gathered and bundled and thrown into the fire. And the wheat will be gathered and brought into the granary of, of the owner of the field. But not before. That's the parable. That's the story that Jesus tells, plus my own interpretations that I've thrown in there. But as often happens, some people receive the message and they understand it and receive it, and other people hear the message and it goes over their heads. And sometimes these people that it goes over their heads is the very disciples. And so they move after Jesus finishes all of these parables. They move back to the house. And the disciples come to Jesus and say, Lord, explain to us that story. We got the story, but we don't know what it all means. What are you talking about? And then Jesus gives them what I would call the key to understanding the parable of the weed and the wheat. And here's what Jesus gives them. The sower, the owner of the field, the one who planted good seed with good intentions is Jesus Christ himself as he plants among the multitude, as he plants the word of God in every heart that would be open to receive that seed. The field, he says, is the world. The field is the world. The wheat or the good seed are the sons of the kingdom in whom the seed of the gospel has been sown. 
The wheat, the good seed, are the sons of the kingdom. The tares, or the bad seed, or the weed, are the sons of the evil one who have rejected the message of the kingdom, who have rejected the gospel. And the enemy is the devil. This is Jesus saying these things. The enemy is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world or the end of the ages. And the reapers that will be the ones separating the good, the sons of God from the sons of the enemy are the angels. That's Jesus's interpretation. Those are the keys to understand what Jesus is saying to his disciples and to the multitude. So what does that all mean? So now we understand the parable. So what does it mean? First of all, I want to say to you that the kingdom of God has come into the world through the person of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the eternal, powerful kingdom of Almighty God has come into the world in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the sower in the parable. The kingdom is here. The kingdom is not coming. The kingdom is now. The kingdom of God is now in this world. It is present. That's the first thing we need to understand from the parable. Jesus not speaking about some future kingdom or going to the kingdom of heaven when we die. Jesus is saying the kingdom of God came to you today. The king is here. The king is walking among you. The king is your Lord. That's the first thing that we need to see in the parable. The second thing that I want you to see is that in the world that we live in today, and until the end times, now and until the end times, there will be a necessary and unavoidable coexistence between the sons of the kingdom and the sons of the enemy. There will be a necessary coexistence Evil and good are present in the world. They're growing together. But the thing that I want you to see in the parable is that it still depends on a personal relationship. Because one are the sons of the kingdom and the other one are the sons of the enemy. Who you relate to determines whose son or whose daughter you are. It still is based on a personal relationship with the king. It's still based on a personal relationship with Jesus. Nothing makes you a son of the kingdom except being loyal and part of the life and kingdom of the king. Jesus Christ the Lord. It's still based on a personal relationship between Jesus and the enemy. 
And in this world, there are sons of the devil. And in this world, there are sons and daughters of the king. And Jesus is clear about this in this parable. But it's still based on a personal relationship. Who do you belong to? Who is your allegiance with? And who rules and lives in your heart? That is the basis of whether you are wheat or you are weed in the parable. It's a response to the gospel. Accepting or rejecting the gospel. And in this world, we all know there are people who reject the gospel. And there are people who accept the gospel. Why shouldn't God just come and separate the wheat from the wheat? Because there is a lot of potential people that are rejecting the gospel today who could eventually receive the gospel, have their heart open, and be saved. And you don't want to just close the door now and throw everybody into the furnace of fire. There are people still to be saved in this world because it is not yet the end times. There are people still who may be rejecting the gospel today, but still could receive it and be saved unto eternity. And so God is not closing the door on salvation yet. And therefore, the wheat and the weed are going to have to coexist in this world. But don't ever believe that your fruit doesn't make a difference, because it is your fruit that may bring somebody else to Christ. The other thing I want you to learn in this parable that it needs to be very clear, at least from the teaching of Jesus, that there will be an end time. Don't think that the day of judgment is not coming. I know that there's some people who tend to teach that at the end, God is just going to forgive everybody and everybody's going to be forgiven and there's universal salvation. That is not biblical. I don't find that in the Bible anywhere. What I find in the Bible, in the teachings of Jesus, is that there will be one day when the wheat and the wheat will be separated, and the wheat will be bundled and thrown into the fire, and the wheat will be gathered and brought to the harvest or, or through the granary of the Lord or eternity. Jesus teaches constantly that at the end time there will be a separation between the sons of light and the sons of darkness that there will be a separation between the sons of the kingdom and the sons of the devil. The teaching of the parable should be very clear to all of you that there will be some that will reject the son to the very end to their condemnation. But I also want to say to you that though we know there will be an end times, I want to say to you that the time of the end is not yet that this is the time of the gospel. This is the time for the whole world to hear the message of salvation. This is the time to hear the gospel and receive it. This is the time for all of us to preach the gospel, to live the gospel, to share the gospel, that not one person be lost unless they go to the very end rejecting the Lord. But this is not yet the time of the end. We still have a lot of time for the people we love 
to come to know their king, their Lord, and their Savior. We're living in gospel days, not end days. Not yet. The harvest is not yet. But when it comes, it will come, and it will be painful. But Jesus points us to understand that there will be a day of judgment. And talking about judgment, one of the things I want you to understand is that we're not the judges. We're not the judges. So if you tend to be a judgmental of other people, you were not the judges. The judge is the Lord. And only the Lord does not your job. Your job is to bear fruit. At the end time, the Lord will be the judge of all things because he will judge in righteousness. We judge according to what we see only, but we don't ever know the heart of somebody else. We may judge their deeds and say that's not of God, but we're not the judge of other people. We leave that to the Lord alone. We have to judge ourselves that we are bearing and doing the fruit that God has commanded us to bear. But the wheat don't judge the weed. It is the Lord at harvest time. Not even the angels are the judges. The angels are only the ones that carry out the judgment. They're the only ones that separate the wheat from the wheat, but they're not the judges of anyone. Only God is the judge of who is son of God and who is son of the devil. So don't, that's not your job and that's not my job. My job is to preach the gospel. My job is to live the gospel. My job is to judge me first before I judge anybody else. The other thing I love in the gospel, in this passage and in this parable, is the clear character difference between God and the devil. Amen? We find God's character, the intention of bringing good into the world, bringing good seed to produce good stuff. And we find the devil working in hiding, working in darkness, working with malevolent intentions, working to destroy, working to kill, working to bring poison. And you can see clearly in the parable the two characters of the two kings or, or the king of kings and the devil and the two kingdoms because the devil has a kingdom you have both kingdoms present here the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world but the other thing that I think is most important and Jesus wants to teach us in this parable is patience is patience the separation of the wheat and the weed is not going to happen on our time. And if God is patient and long-suffering, if God doesn't bring judgment already and closes the book, it's because he's waiting in love for all who would come to him to come to him. And if God is patient and loving to the point that he himself gives up his will and allows evil to coexist, if he's patient, we need to learn patience. We need to learn patience 
until God decides that the time is come. We need to learn patience as we live in this crazy world of good and evil kind of coexisting, and you hear of evil things happening over there, evil things over there. But the unfortunate thing is that you don't also hear of all the good stuff that are happening around the world. The news feeds only from the bad that has happened. That's what sells newspapers. But there's a lot of good being done in the world by the sons of light. There's every day there's more good done in this world than what we hear about. And we must learn to be part of that journey. But we need to be patient. We can't just say, God, go ahead and finish everybody or I'm already saved. Who cares about anybody else? No, we need to love everybody and give everybody a chance until the Lord decides. So one of the aspects that this parable is teaching us is patience, but also to live in expectation. To live in expectation and to trust in God. He will work it all out in His time, in His way, in His manner. To live in expectation and to live in trust that God, the owner of the field, is still in charge, and at the very end, it will be the way he designed it to be. The day of judgment is coming, but it's not yet. This is the time for sowing the gospel. My friends, you are the gospel bearers. You are living letters from God. Your fruit bears witness of the presence of the kingdom. You and I are the ones sent out to proclaim the gospel. If we are silent, many will be lost around you, because they've never heard or seen the truth of the gospel in you or by you. This is the time of the gospel. This is the time for hearing and receiving and accepting the gospel and receiving Jesus, and that will make wheat become wheat. And that will make a sinner become a saint. And that will forgive a multitude of saints. And it is you, the members of this church, and myself, along with all our other brothers and sisters around the world, we are the ones being sent to proclaim the gospel. So please don't stay in the pew, warming the pew, receiving teaching and teaching and teaching and not doing it. We have to be the conduits of the gospel before the end comes because at the end time there will be no more opportunities for salvation. It will be eternal death or eternal life. And I think that's what this parable is about. Patience, expectation, but being sent out, sent out to do the work that God calls us to do.
Is there an amen in the house? Amen. Stand with me, please.